Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They've been with us for about nine years. I appreciate their support. They do a great job, and I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We've got terrific guest for today's show, including William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Byron Donalds, our state representative and candidate for U.S. Congress. Michael Cannon is a specialist in health care and health insurance at the Cato Institute. We'll be talking to him about health care, health insurance, and of uh, this new drug uh, decision, uh, prescription or uh, pharmaceuticals that, that the president has made. And we'll visit with Dave Vigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, the story of the travails of working with SEIU union bosses over the course of two and a half years, all their dirty tricks to get him to sign a neutrality agreement. He refused, said, if you want to unionize my organization, executive management services, you're going to have to do it through secret ballot. Well, they didn't succeed, and uh, they went away, and uh, he wrote a book about the devil at our doorstep. It is August the 7th, and on this day in 1782 in Newburgh, New York, General George Washington, the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, created the badge of for military merit, a decoration consisting of a purple heart, shaped piece of silk, edged with a narrow binding of silver, and the word merit stitched across the face of the silver. The badge was to be presented to soldiers for any singularly meritorious action, and permitted its wearer to pass guards and sentinels without challenge. The honoree's name and regiment was also to be inscribed in a book of merit. Washington's Purple Heart was awarded only three known soldiers during the Revolutionary War. Uh, the Book of Merit was lost, and the decoration was largely forgotten until 1927 when General Charles P. Summerall, the U.S. Army Chief of Staff, sent an unsuccessful draft bill to Congress to revive the badge of military merit. In 1931, Summerall's successor, General Douglas MacArthur, took up the cause, hoping to reinstate the medal in the time for the bicentennial of George Washington's birth. On February 22, 1932, Washington's 200th birthday, the U.S. War Department announced the creation of the Order of the Purple Heart. In addition to aspects of Washington's original design, the new Purple Heart also displays a bust of Washington and his coat of arms. The Order of the Purple Heart... The oldest American military decoration for military merit is awarded to members of the U.S. Armed Forces who have been killed or wounded in action against an enemy. It is also awarded to soldiers who have suffered maltreatment as prisoners of war. The Purple Heart awarded for the first time. By the way, this is before the United States was actually uh, started in, in uh, 1789. Let's talk coronavirus. We always do at the beginning of the show during this this time. The Florida Department of Health reported only 68 new cases and one additional death. Uh, the cumulative cases is now 10,118 with 61,190 tests. And related deaths are up to 130. Now, the department identified the newly verified death as an 87-year-old woman who had known contact with a positive COVID-19 case. Can you believe that? And so they're counting it as a COVID-19 death, 87-year-old woman. Well, and it, because she had contact with somebody who, who was known to have uh, coronavirus, Collier's seven-day average for cases has dropped to 105.29, the lowest it's been since June the 24th. And a total of 707 people in Collier County have been hospitalized, but there's only 127 of them still there. Uh, and the co county has had 19.9% of its total hospital beds available and 20% of its adult ICU beds. Now, remember, this is all about flattening the curve. What does that mean? Well, that means uh, making sure that uh, we don't overwhelm the health care system, and clearly we are not the same uh, numbers. Uh, it's look The curve is looking the same in, in all of Florida, actually. But it's really looking good here in Collier County. Now, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine tested negative for COVID-19 on Thursday, hours after testing positive before he was set to greet President Trump at the Cleveland airport. So he didn't show up. 
So the governor went back and uh, had another test hours later, and guess what? It was, it was negative. It just raises the question, doesn't it? How many of those people who've actually had the test for and tested positive really didn't have uh, corona, COVID-19? Well, I want to tell this story. Alfie Oaks, the owner of Sea and Table and defender of our constitutional liberties, has filed a, fe- filed a federal lawsuit against Cuyahoga County over its recently passed mask mandate, claiming it's unconstitutional and un- invalid in an effort to appease the fear mongers to help curb the spread of the coronavirus, Collier County Commissioners last month passed the emergency order. But Oaks, who has publicly called COVID-19 a hoax, has been staunchly opposed to a mask requirement and told commissioners he would not enforce it in his store. Uh, he says, I'll, go, I'll wear handcuffs before I'll wear a mask. I can guarantee you that, he told commissioners in July, although the order does not carry any criminal penalties, so they're not going to carry him off in handcuffs. But uh, he actually had a two-hour conversation with Penny Taylor, who's a Cuyahoga County commissioner. She is the swing vote. And she said, he said, you know, you know masks are not, uh, uh, not effective. And she says, I know that. <laughs> but we have to quell the fears of, of the people in Cuyahoga County. So anyhow, enforcement of the order falls to the county's code enforcement group when, it come, when they receive a complaint about business and compliance-driven officials have said the order states the fines can be up to $500 for a violation but fines would likely be slowly ramped up for repeat non-compliance. Now, uh, what's happened? Uh, he's apparently got his first fine of 105 bucks, and they returned uh, a day later or so and uh, fined him more, $250. Uh, Oaks posted posted sign at his store entrance, placing the Collier County Code enforcement officers on notice that they're prohibited from entering the premises without a warrant. <laughs> According to the suit, later the same day, the lawsuit states the code enforcement officer ignored the signage, conducted a search of the premises at Oaks Farms, and uh, at the investigator issued another citation of $255, not $250. And then the code enforcement visit citations uh, Oaks lawyers wrote were aimed at harassing and intimidating plaintiffs into compliance. So he's filed a suit, and uh, it's a federal suit, actually. He says that it's unfair, it's, uh, it's violating our fundamental rights. I just really appreciate uh, Alfie Oaks for what he's doing because in this period of time where uh, there's been a lot of hostile confrontation and uh, people, values and businesses and practices are, are being ignored, uh, I frankly just really appreciate his efforts. You know, right now... Uh, Alfie Oaks has filed the federal suit in early July against Lee County School District also, which has dumped its multi-million dollar food distribution deal with him because he called the George Floyd situation a disgraceful, he called him a disgraceful career uh, criminal. So anyhow, it's so refreshing to hear Alfie speak out in a time where folks are feeling intimidated and silenced. And we're, I, I just refer to us as the silenced majority. A lot of people just afraid to express their opinions about what's going on. Congratulations, Alfie Oaks. I'd like to have him on the show next week. I hope you'll have the time to come on. So U.S. Attorney John Durham will soon interview former CIA Director John Brennan, another sign that the investigation of the Trump era, uh, Russia investigators, uh, is really ready to wrap up by the end of the summer. So, uh, you know, really this is working on probably talking to all the people. John Brennan is really a, a target, I think, here. He's one of the top people who I think orchestrated this entire Russiagate thing. And so, so Durham, the federal prosecutor from Connecticut, appointed by Attorney General William Barr to investigate the origins of the crossfire hurricane inquiry and to scrutinize the conduct of the law enforcement leaders and intelligence officers involved in it, He's been asked to interview Brennan according to people familiar with the request. Uh, Brennan himself says, you know what? He acknowledged he is in the crosshairs of a criminal inquiry into the Russian investigation led by Durham. So uh, it looks like this is coming to an end soon. Last year, the New York Times reported that Durham asked for Brennan's electronic communications. He's also asked for uh, all of his papers and his uh, communication. So Durham, I think, is getting to the end of this, and perhaps they'll begin. I'm not sure we're going to see a report, but I'm sure we're going to see indictments and the like 
uh, for uh, these this situation. My understanding, they, though, he hasn't talked to Comey, and I don't know if that's on his list as well. Mueller's special counsel investigation concluded interfered he, uh, he, that uh, interference uh, was happening in a systematic fashion, but he did not establish any criminal conspiracy between the Russians and the Trump campaign. And that was really the, the uh, conclusion of this investigation. Two years it took, $33 million, and uh, no results. People have continued to harass President Trump. It continues today. Yeah, but irrespective, it's just great to see that this uh, Durham investigation will come to an end by the end of summer. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples, longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and also offering summer programs for kids. Great uh, organization, golfshoreplayhouse.org is the website. Coming up, we're going to visit with U.S. Uh, congressional candidate Byron Donalds. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a research fellow with the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. Uh, we're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. 
Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So, William, uh, we've been talking and uh, over the last few weeks about the saga of, or of the William of the Michael Flynn case. New developments uh, uh, from <laughs> now the judge apparently has to disqualify himself. What's going on? Well, <laughs> the uh, a couple new developments. Um, on the one hand, uh, Sally Yates, who was a, a high political appointee in the Department of Justice, testified before a Senate committee this week, and uh, although she went to great lengths to acquit herself and uh, any, you know, President Obama and Vice President Biden from any wrongdoing, it is notable with respect to the Flynn investigation that she effectively threw Comey and the FBI under the bus. Yeah. Um, her exact words were that Comey went rogue. Um, and, you know, she seemed to imply strongly the FBI was sort of searching for a crime with which to pin on Flynn. That, of course, will be no surprise to, to listeners of our, of our Friday conversations. We've um, discussed at length how uh, Flynn was railroaded. Um, but it was, uh, so that was interesting. Um, uh, other uh, news on that front, uh, Durham, the, the gentleman who has been um, appointed by Barr to conduct uh, an investigation, even a criminal investigation, into the origins of, of all this uh, Operation Hurricane or Crossfire, whatever it's called, uh, mm-hmm. the origins of all this Russia collusion stuff. Um, and it's rumored that, that that is expected out before Labor Day. Um, and again, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's anyone's guess that that team has been very disciplined about not leaking to the press. Um, however, given the scope of the investigation and what we know, uh, evidently uh, they are soon to interview former CIA Director Brennan, um, which uh, you know, certainly suggests something big is afoot. Um, but that would be the other big development this week along those lines. Yeah. So, uh, to me, it seems to me that you interview everybody that might have some influence and information before you interview the quote-unquote targets of the investigation. John Brennan certainly has to be one of those targets who I think or- helped to orchestrate this entire thing. Indeed. And we, there was, I guess, precursor rumblings to, uh, that he was being targeted. Um a few weeks ago, he had requested from the CIA all of his personal notes mm-hmm. and personal information. Now, he said it was because he's writing a memoir. Um, it, 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 it's not uh, beyond the realm of plausibility that perhaps he thought there was inculpatory evidence in there that he wanted back. Um, nevertheless, to get to the point, they said no. Um, they said that because potentially these are being investigated by the Durham um, folks that he, he could not have uh, these unfettered access and the return of these documents. So that was a big indication that something along these lines w- was occurring. Um, but there have been kind of express uh, 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 statements to that. I mean, I read something in the Washington Examiner yesterday morning that said they're lining up an interview with Brennan. Which is great. So it, a good indication is coming to an end. One, one loose end about this, though, is apparently uh, the on banc uh, uh, appeals group is going to actually review the Michael Flynn case, but uh, did I understand that they've asked the uh, the judge Emmett Sullivan to disqualify himself because of bias? What was? I'll be honest, I had not to disqualify himself because of bias. So, are you saying that uh, Sidney Powell, the Flynn's very capable counsel, had, had uh, moved or petitioned the court? Um, to do so, or that that the that this is actually emanated from the court itself. Uh, you know, I, I I I'm ignorant of that. Quite frankly, I thought it was the court itself, but uh, it could have been uh, just her appeal, Sydney Powell's uh, appeal. I'm not sure, but nevertheless, this thing has got to come to an end sooner or later. I think, quite frankly, I think they're trying to extend this thing so he can't be vocal about the things that he knows about this investigation. It would. There has been so many shenanigans associated uh, with this case and the FBI's handling thereof, and indeed Judge Emmett Sullivan's handling of the case. I mean, it's why, in the face of, of no prosecution, I mean, the government is asking for the case to be dismissed, the defendant is asking for the case to be dismissed, why he it seems intent on proceeding alone um, is beyond me. I, I'll note one thing. That there, perhaps what you were referring to is I know there is some legal controversy as to whether or not 
Sullivan could pursue an appeal, or, or that is to say, because he's a judge, you have to be a party to be able to, to get your foot in court uh, before the D.C. Court, the Circuit Court of Appeals. And it's, uh, you know, and this is legalese, but as to whether or not the judge could qualify as a party, there was some uncertainty around that. Right. He's supposed to be uh, 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 actually a little bit more biased towards uh, the protection of, uh, of, a, of uh, the, the uh, accused, you know, and uh, the fact, in fact, if he is disqualified, who the heck is going <laughs> to pursue the case? Everybody, everybody is saying we have no interest in pursuing this case. <laughs> that would be quite a, a curious and welcome uh, uh, result, actually, because Flynn has endured so much. But yeah, it'd be a, if neither the government wants to prosecute the case, and there's no judge to hear the case, and, uh, then indeed, uh, one would hope that justice would be served if the case uh, would go away. <laughs> So, uh, the final question uh, before I let you go, William. Um, the president says that he's going to take uh, executive action. You know, this, the, right now the negotiations are in stalemate about the uh, $1 trillion tranche or $3 trillion, as the uh, Democrats would like, in kind of negotiating what's going to be the next phase for helping un people who are on unemployment and so forth. Uh, after this pandemic. So the president has said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take an uh, executive order. I'm going to extend unemployment, uh, prevent evictions, and even cut pay the pay payroll tax. We're looking into that right now and putting this together. What are your thoughts? I mean, he, you know, uh, the, the Congress has the power of the purse. Can he do this? Highly unlikely. Um, and indeed, no, would be the, the, to get the quick. There at the margins, for example, that eviction stuff, Potentially, there are authorities that have already been granted to the president. I mean, the Congress has basically already given away. Mm -hmm. Potentially, where he could, uh, there, there's some room to work with. But when it comes to spending one to three trillion dollars, um, there, there, there's no such wiggle room. So he is, uh, as as we've discussed before, you know, he's a deal maker, um, and that is, you know, it's not uncommon in deals to um, to exaggerate in the course of bargaining. Um, I think that's going on on both sides, and, and I suspect strongly that's what's at play here. I agree with that. The president sometimes comes up with these audacious claims, you know, I have absolute power when it comes to closing down the government. <laughs> <laughs> he, he makes these claims, but, he, you know, he, you have to watch his actions, not necessarily listen to his words. So, Indeed. Uh, indeed. Again, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. Always appreciate your well-informed commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. We're going to have another representative of the Cato Institute coming up later in the show, and that would be Michael Cannon. He's so well-informed with regard to health care. We have a lot of questions for him. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC 
ABC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. So proud of the organization. Actually serve on the board, and I hope you'll find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, Dave uh, held off the onslaught of SEIU union leaders when they tried to organize his uh, his organization, unionize executive management services without a secret ballot, and he refused. Boy, the dirty tricks they played were unbelievable. He's a real knowledgeable about union activities, and we'll look forward to visit with him later in the show. Well, former Vice President Joe Biden on Thursday attempted to clarify the insulting comments he made about black people during a virtual conference hosted by a black journalist organization. Biden commented the Latino community at being incredibly diverse, unlike the African-American community, he said with some exceptions. Then he tweeted Thursday, earlier today I made some comments about diversity in the African-American and Latino communities that I want to clarify. In no way did I mean to suggest the African-American community is a monolith, not by identity, not by issues, not at all, he tweeted. And then he tweeted, throughout my career I've witnessed the diversity thought of thought background, and sentiment within the African-American community. It's this diversity that makes our workplaces, communities, and country a better place. My commitment to you is this. I will always listen. I will never stop fighting for the African-American community, and I will never stop fighting for a more equitable future. Well, he's really trying to walk this back, isn't he? Well, earlier, Biden compared black and Latino communities claiming, unlike the African-American community, with some notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredible different attitudes about different things, he said. Now, when I mean full diversity, unlike the African-American community and many other communities, you've, uh, you're from everywhere, Biden explained. You're from Europe, you're from the tip of uh, South America, all the way up to the border of Mexico and to the Caribbean, and different backgrounds, different ethnicities, but all Latinos, he said. We're going to get a chance to do that if we win in November, he said. Unbelievable. So civil rights attorney Leo Terrell, now you may recall Leo as a civil rights attorney, was a big uh, supporter and very vocal about the Democrats. Well, he did a pivot a couple of months ago, and he's been extremely outspoken. He said the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden has the mindset, mindset of a plantation owner. Joe Biden is unfit to be president, and Joe Biden is a racist, said Terrell. President Trump attacked Biden for this racial insult. He said, did you watch the clip? He said to reporters, Joe Biden this morning, he totally disparaged and insulted the black community. What he said is incredible. I don't know what's going on with him, but it was a very insulting statement he made. I guess you'll have to figure that out, and you'll see it in a little while. It was a great insult to the black community, said the president. Uh, absolutely. And uh, Biden, he's just demonstrating, quite frankly, he, is, he should take a mental test uh, and maybe disqualify himself, disqualify himself as candidate for president. Just, uh, I can't imagine what would happen to this country if he became president. He'd be run by uh, the uh, Antifa and <laughs> the other interests that uh, support the far-left movement. Speaking of which, the uh, Minneapolis Star-Tribune offered a stunning rebuke of the House Democratic squad Wednesday by endorsing Representative Elon Omar's primary challenger, Anton Milton Mao, um, I think it's pronounced, after con- careful consideration in interviews with both the Star-Tribune editorial board recommends Milton Mao, a first-time candidate with strong progressive values, that align well with the district, as well as the consensus building skills honed as a professional mediator, the paper announced, ahead of the August 11th primary. 
the Star Tribune praised Melton Mal for being a diff uh, different sensibility that's grounded in helping resolve disputes to for move forward and building common ground, whether it's health care, criminal, criminal justice, or affordable housing. Uh, he, they say he would do a great job. While Omar wants to lead a movement, Melton Mal seeks to serve the 5th District. Pretty clear, isn't it? In the paper, unfavorably compared Omar's desire to defund and even dismantle the police and pursue Medicare for all to Mountain Mouse wanting to create a system in which police are held accountable and for their actions to build upon the Affordable Care Act. The editorial board also knocked Omar's missteps, they called them, including her inflammatory comments about Israel and her campaign finance issues, notably the claims that Omar sent at least $1.6 million, I think it's closer to $2 million, to her husband's political cult consulting firm. You may recall that, the, that her husband was a prima, uh, formerly a well, well-compensated uh, advisor. Well, she ended up getting a divorce and marrying him. And while the paper notes that Omar's background as a Somali refugee is well-known, it also noted that Melton Mao is a descendant of slaves and mentioned that his mother grew up picking cotton and his father used service in Vietnam and the GI Bill to put himself through college and lift the family into the middle class. Melt Mal later became an attorney and mediator, taking on cases on behalf of foster children. So Melt Mal fully grasped the needs of the diverse community and he hopes he hopes to represent the endorsement concluded. And if given a chance, is the kind of leader who could uh, really unite a fractured district. So it looks like... Uh, uh, Elon Omar has a real challenger here. Unfortunately, this uh, it's probably going to be more of the same, although not a member of the squad. Certainly a far-left-leaning progressive person who supports uh, open borders and so forth. But irrespective, uh, an improvement over Elon Omar, who, quite frankly, I think should be convicted of crimes uh, rather than serving in Congress. And on Friday's broadcast on PBS NewsHour, White House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow said the White House is taking a look at issuing executive orders on evictions, a payroll tax uh, cut to uh, student loans, extending unemployment benefits, and possibly adding benefits for re-employment. Re Kudlow also said that he's been engaged in a lot of drafting of these orders, and particularly the payroll tax cut. And the lawyers up in the White House Counsel's Office are poring over the payroll tax cut draft, he said. So he said, Chief Meadows has said if, no, if nothing is achieved by Friday, and we're talking about uh, the negotiations between uh, the House, uh, that would be Nancy Pelosi and uh, the leaders of the House and uh, for the GOP, we might conceivably walk away from it. That is, Trump people might walk away from it. And the president has said repeatedly that he said it again, that he can do a lot of important things on unemployment extensions, on preventing evictions and a payroll tax cut. He can do many things by executive order uh, or, or presidential fiat, and he doesn't necessarily need these negotiations. Well, I, quite frankly, I don't think he's on solid ground there, but irrespective, that's Cudlow further stated right now the lawyers up in the White House counsel's office are pouring over the payroll tax cut draft. So, uh, again, I see this as a strong negotiation on the part of Trump's part, but I don't think he really has the power of the purse. And with the, our founders created uh, division, you know, the balance of power, and uh, sometimes it's very frustrating for the president, I'm sure, very frustrating for everybody involved in this process. But again, the, the House has the power of the purse. The Senate, of course, uh, is a, a representative across the country, not necessarily by population, but by states. And of course, the president of the United States is the chief executive officer. And while it can be frustrating, I just really appreciate uh, the separation of powers. Okay, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Michael Cannon. He is a, uh, a research fellow in healthcare at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to do a little shout out to Lula B's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. They do a great job for breakfast or lunch. Some great supporters of St. Matthew's House as well. So drop by, thank them, and also have a great meal for breakfast and lunch at Lula B's Diner. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigelow, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now, we have with us Michael Cannon. Michael Han- Cannon is kind of a hero in my mind because he <laughs> really fought uh, some elements of Obamacare. We won't get into that right now, but in addition to that, a real expert at the Cato Institute on Healthcare. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you, Michael. Uh, we talked about the Cato Institute earlier with Michael uh, William Yateman, who is a guest on the show, so I think our listeners know what the Cato Institute's all about. I'd like to ask you, though, the president has made, I think, a kind of a controversial statement to lower prescription drug prices in the United States. He's done that by executive order, and the bash la- backlash is palpable. What are your thoughts about all this? So he hasn't quite done it by executive order. He doesn't really have the power to do that. What he has said is that he wants the Department of Health and Human Services to change the way the Medicare program sets the prices for certain drugs that it purchases. Ah. And that's a long and involved process that the agency has to do itself. But basically what he wants them to do is come up with a new price-setting scheme that results in lower prices for these drugs. Mm. So you would think that his own party, the Republican Party, the Conservative Party, the party of limited government and free markets and low taxes and low government spending would be for this. On the contrary, he's getting a lot of blowback from his Republican friends. And the reason is because within the Republican Party and the conservative movement broadly, especially when it comes to health care, there's what we call a crony capitalist streak that actually likes big government a lot. There are a lot of people in the uh, the main opponents of uh, the president's proposal to lower the prices that Medicare pays for drugs are who? Well, it's the drug companies that sell those drugs and would get lower prices as a result. And in many cases, the physicians who administer those drugs, they might get uh, paid less from the Medicare program uh. Uh, if the drug prices come down because of the funny way uh, Medicare pays for these things. So they oppose this idea, and they are channeling lots of money to uh, Republicans and even some uh, supposedly free market groups who are coming out against this idea and calling it all sorts of ridiculous names, like saying that the president is importing foreign price controls. I mean, there's so much wrapped up into that, into that one line of rhetoric right there yeah. uh, that, it's, that it's just a delicious uh, cornucopia of, uh, of, of 
Uh, deception and manipulation. Yeah, so Michael, so, just just a quick point, though. You know, when you talked about crony capitalism, the biggest example in my mind is these pharmaceutical companies are just channeling tons of money to these uh, to the campaigns of these uh, senators and, and congressmen who now support the uh, prescription or the uh, pharmaceutical companies in uh, adversely against the president's idea about lowering drug prices. So there's a couple of issues. One is is, is uh, you know, interfering with free markets uh, uh, on the president's part. That's kind of strange. But on the other side, it's the, uh, uh, you know, who's, who's looking out for the uh, patients and who's looking out for, for the citizens here uh, uh, in terms of what, what we're paying for drug prices? Well, the president is not interfering with free markets here. There's nothing uh, about markets going on in this proposal. This is about how a government program uh-huh. pays for drugs. Right now, the Medicare program sets the prices one way. So mm-hmm. there's nothing free markety about the way that, he's, that the Medicare program is currently doing things. Mm-hmm. It's a centrally planned, uh, command and control, socialized healthcare system. Uh, and what the president wants to do is just come up with another command and control, centrally planned way to uh, set the prices that results in the prices being lower. Mm-hmm. And the pharmaceutical companies know that they can push all sorts of Republican buttons by calling this by calling that socialism, yeah. by saying that's price controls, by saying that <laughs> worse, they're foreign price controls. Ooh, <laughs> foreigners are scary, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. And so he gets, they get a lot of Republicans and, and like I said, free market organizations uh, to push back against this proposal that would reduce the size of government. Yeah. By reducing government spending on uh, prescription drugs. Uh, well, thanks for clarifying that because in the president's position, that's uh, that is reassuring, quite frankly. But you know, now we're beginning to see all kinds of ads that really attacking this whole idea. So, uh, if in fact we re- lower the price of drugs for Medicare, one of the outcomes might be that, quite frankly, people are are not going to be served by doctors or be able to get drugs. Well, that's right, and uh, and that's. Uh, a problem with every government health care program. I mean, it's a serious problem in the Medicaid program where it's, uh, uh, it, it can be very hard to find a provider who will take your Medicaid coverage. And uh, it doesn't really happen in the Medicaid program. Doctors in the hospitals are constantly threatening that they're going to leave the Medicaid program, but uh, yeah. they're <laughs> usually empty threats. But look, you have a government-run program that uses government prices to determine, government set prices rather than market prices to determine the allocation of resources. And the government's never going to get the prices right. Uh, actually, markets don't either, but they self-correct and always move in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and, but because government set prices don't do that, you're always going to get either shortages like you have in the Medicaid program where people cannot find providers because the government sets the prices too low, or you're going to get what we have in the Medicare program, which is the government is setting the prices too high, and so you sure, you can get lots of providers uh, uh, to see you. They'll line up for those excessive prices the government is setting, but there are problems there, too, which is that the program ends up wasting a lot of money on inflated prices, and that's money that the government is just taking from the mouths of low-income people who are having a hard time finding adequate housing or affording food or, yeah. or, or so forth. And, and that doesn't solve the problem either. Well, if you want to solve that, this, this pricing problem and the access problem in healthcare, you need to get the government and the Medicare out of that price-setting business entirely. Right. Give Medicare enrollees a check for, for the amount that the Medicare program spends on average on Medicare enrollees. Give sicker seniors bigger checks than healthy, ones, healthy seniors smaller checks. But then let them decide how to spend that money. Let markets set the prices, and you won't have to spend as much money on uh, health care for seniors because uh, prices will fall, and the money that we're spending will go so much farther. And you know what, and Mike, I'm so, happy, I'm so happy you brought this up because my mind was kind of wrapped around the symptoms here rather than the cause, and you're absolutely right. We need to go back to patient-centric health care controlled by private markets and individuals as opposed to the government setting all these standards in our socialist health care system that we have. That's right. And you know what? Every time a debate about Medicare pricing uh, comes up, just keep in mind that the ideal price that the 
government should be paying for health care services is zero dollars and zero cents. Mm-hmm. And so anything that moves the, the actual price in the, that direction is a good thing. And yes, that's going to cause shortages. But the solution to shortages is not government largesse and government uh, throwing money at, uh, at the health care industry because that's what the crony capitalists want. It is if the government's going to subsidize seniors, it should subsidize them like the Social Security program does. It should subsidize their health care the way it subsidizes things through the Social Security program, which is give seniors the cash, let them trust them to spend that money wisely. And my God, you will see prices uh, for health care across this country plummet. Yeah. And you'll hear providers screaming about it because uh, because cost-conscious seniors will demand that they will get lower prices. Yeah, so how about, how about uh, uh, health savings account, health care savings account? How about... Uh, uh, Catastrophic healthcare coverage, and that, I mean, we, if we moved in that direction, it seems to me the price of healthcare would drop dramatically. Yeah, so health savings accounts are the same concept. You let the consumer control the money, and they will act in a more cost-conscious manner than they do when they are spending their employer's money or their government's money. And as a result, we will get price competition, and we will get lower prices. And there are examples of this. You know, yeah. I can point to. Uh, an experiment in California that caused the price of hip and knee replacements to plummet 16%, uh, uh, forgive me, uh, more than 30% uh, in two years, saving $16,000 per procedure just by making the consumers cost conscious. Wow. And, uh, and we need to do the same thing for people in employer plans. You know, your, your employer gets to control $15,000 of your income uh, if, you have a fa- if you have family coverage uh, because the IRS penalizes you if you don't let them control that money, we should eliminate that penalty. Let the worker control that money. They'll spend it more wise, more wisely than their employers do, uh, and they will get better health insurance. And again, it will put downward pressure on prices, which is the most important thing we can do to bring healthcare within the reach of more. Uh, so, so important, Michael. You know, this is such an important topic, and uh, I, I have concerns about our fragmented healthcare system and so many questions. I hope you'll come back on the show. I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here. Thank you so much for joining us. Love to do it anytime. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, Michael. And again, Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Vigo. He is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. members suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I could only imagine prior to knee surgery and you can too call the institute for orthopedic surgery and sports medicine they will thoroughly evaluate your condition provide personalized state-of-the-art treatment and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle at the institute for orthopedic surgery and sports medicine your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery for an initial consultation call the institute for orthopedic surgery and sports medicine located off tammy amy trail in bonita springs at 482-5399 that's 482-5399 You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. 
And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and the website is gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, uh, Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil on Our Doorstep, and again, about the travails of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years. He prevailed, he won, and wrote a book about it. It's called The Devil on Our Doorstep. I read the book, and I'll tell you what, it reads like a fascinating murder mystery. It's just unbelievable the dirty tricks these folks played. Dave, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks, Bob, and uh, so your uh, listeners know the same tactics the SCIU used against me are being used against uh, our country today. You know what? You're absolutely right. Uh, thinking back to the read that I had in reading your book, I mean, we were seeing a lot of what amounts to just purporting and, and perpetuating lies and attacks that have no basis in truth. It's just really scary. It really is, Bob. And um, before I move on to that, I just want to say one thing so everybody knows that uh, another thing that President Trump's doing, um, you know, he, he put together a National Labor Relations Board that is more uh, pro-employee, pro-business uh, uh, versus the Obama administration that's pro-union. And they just came out with a, a program that um, um, is frozen and is putting in effect uh, to amend rules, regulations to eliminate the requirement that employers must be a part, be as a part of the board's voter list requirement and uh, provide available personnel personal email addresses and home and personal cellular telephones and all other things to um, um, employees um, to the unions. So do I understand then uh, under the Obama administration and uh, with the National Labor Relations Board, the rules were that if if, uh, an organization, if the uh, union wanted to organize you, you had to provide them this information? All of it, yeah. Wow. This was part of the same thing was in the neutrality agreement that the SEIU wanted me to sign. And, of course, Obama was part of the SEIU before he was elected. And um, as soon as he got into office, he took uh, the verbiage, basically, out of their neutrality agreement and had the NLRB put it into effect. And oh. Trump's administration is pulling that out, and I think that's great for the people of this country. I had no idea that that... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's 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 not a it's not a level playing field. That's it seems to me that well, the president. Thank God, the president is now creating some separation and creating a situation where, you know, and again, I, I just it's not all unions in this way, but it, they are thugs and punks. These people and their behavior is kind of like Antifa. It's almost the same thing. Well, Antifa is. Uh you know, years ago, and if you go back and read my blogs, and I, I encourage people to go on the website and read my blogs, back many years ago when I wrote blogs, I, I indicated that Atifa was a part of um, Soros and the SEIU, uh, and part of them starting it so they could bring down this country. Yeah, uh, unbelievable. And, you know, going on to that, uh, I wrote a blog in um, March of 2015 uh, called The Reason for the Devil at Our Doorstep. And, um, cause, you know, I wrote the book and it came out in late April of 2012. And um, I, I wrote blogs for up until the end of 2017. But the reason for the devil at our doorstep, I think people should go on and read because it really tells the story. And um, it, um, I, I indicate in there that uh, we had a, a gentleman, a young guy over here to do some work on one of our um, kitchen a refrigerator or something like that, and uh, he um, um, got to talk to him a little bit, and uh, he had, he had left the company he worked for um, and started his own company, and that's, you know, uh, we brought him in, and he was doing a good job and everything, and I told him about our business and uh, what we had done fighting the SEIU and that, and uh, he, um, uh, the first day there, he actually, one of the parts wasn't the right one, so he can't come back the next day. And he says, you know, I went on your website, and he says, I watched your speech to the Heritage Foundation. He says, I was astounded at the tactics of, uh, used by the SEIU. Um, he says, he shared our values of placing employees and customers at the forefront. He commented that in his short experience, he felt many business owners and entrepreneurs lack the passion to grow the business and do the right things, which he felt from our conversation was the root of our company's success. And I think that's right. And I think uh, 
businesses across the country need to stand up and uh, have a backbone and do the right things for customers and employees and stop the socialism movement. And, um, and I thank you for his comments. And, uh, um, uh, I, and then I mentioned to him I wasn't concerned about his political interests, but I wanted him to know um, about uh, Barack Obama being part of the SIU and all that kind of stuff. And Bob, he looked me square in the eyes and said, in 2008, he was prepared to vote for uh, Obama because of his rhetoric, his smooth oratory skills, and his seeming concern for all Americans. But he said he didn't tell me about an incident where it transformed his thinking, changed his mind. One evening after work, he had dinner with, uh, at a local pub and spent a long time that evening uh, imbibing with some ladies and talking to them who worked for the Obama campaign. And as the evening wore on, these ladies became more looped loop left, he said. <laughs> um, they began to expose the real Barack Obama and the fact that uh, despite his skills mentioned that he was truly not for America but not but for himself and that they personally would not be voting for him even though they worked for him. Oh. And this is what's going on in America. They go out and they throw out this rhetoric which, which is, is, um, is wrong and hypocritical and everything like that uh, just to brainwash people. And to uh, so they get in power and bring down this country and turn it into a socialistic, communistic country. And the people need to wake up to this. No, you're and absolutely. Please, I would. I please people go read my blog on uh, March 2015. The reason for the devil at our doorstep. Again, and and it's thedevilatourdoorstep.com is the website to check out uh, to find those blogs. And by the way, the president gave a a speech. <laughs> I don't know, at, at John Lewis's uh, funeral, it was it was a political speech for crying out loud, so inappropriate. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But you go back and you listen to to that speech, it's you know, just thank God he's out of office now, and hopefully we can. Even though the president right now, President Trump, is not an order, he's not. But he uh, and, uh, he, he uh, irritates people with some of the things that he says. But you know what? He's doing the right things. He's taking us in the right direction, irrespective of the constant attacks, impeachment, all these different things that he's gone through, the uh, 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 Russiagate thing. Uh, it's been unbelievable. I don't know how he gets out of bed every day and d uh, does what he does with the, all the assaults that he faces. Well, he's got a backbone, and he's a strong person. And this is what we need um uh, the conservatives do, and, and the Senate, and uh, all, all the people in the Republican Party, and the American people, and business people, and uh, I, um, I, you know, because we, you got to understand where this left is coming from, and this is one other thing I wanted to share with you real quick, um, is that, um, you know, in, in 1887, Alexander Tyler, Scottish history professor at the University of Edinburgh, um, uh, said that, uh, you know, most Countries don't last more than 200 years. Um, and um, he says, here's the reason. They go from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependence, from dependence back into bondage. And the obituary follows. And this is what... Um, um, you know, this is the path we're on. I think is what you're saying that we're we're on that's this. Right. We're, that's right. Because they're taking us all back to complacency, or trying to, and you know, um, bondage and socialism and all that kind of stuff. And the American people need to wake up to this. Yeah. And uh, because we have these people in this country that don't appreciate the uh, American capitalist free market system and what it does, because at the end of the day, it provides everybody the opportunity. Um, to get out and uh, work hard and persevere and uh, pursue and opportunity, pursue yeah. opportunity and pursue your own personal dreams, whatever they may be. You know, the yeah. the saddest thing in the world is a person that doesn't have a dream or objective. The purpose that's of right. life, the purpose of life is to have a purpose and to pursue it as best you can. And that's uh, unfortunately when you get into this kind of bondage situation, people just put one foot in front of the other and live their lives hoping that they don't get in the crosshairs of government officials. And that's a sad way to live. We need to you know, and I, I talked to one of my relatives, and I mentioned the Constitution, and the, you know, she rolled her eyes. Oh, the Constitution. <laughs> you know, people have lost sight of what's made this country great, for crying out loud. We need to protect yes, the rule do. of law. They need, to, they need to stand up and look in the mirror and step back and, and uh, 
remember what history has done for us and don't let these people bring it down. And, and in this blog, I, uh, at the end of it, by the way, um, I, you know, uh, said, uh, please take this young man's story to heart and realize we're at war. It's worth yeah. the time identifying the devil at our doorstep, who these people are, and uh, what their intent is, which is the taking of American freedoms. And I say, wake up, America, we're at war. That's exactly Arm- right. Armageddon is at hand, please wake up. Absolutely, and you can just look at the streets of Portland, Seattle, and other cities to see what's going on. Dave, always appreciate your commentary. Again, the, the name of the book is The Devil at Our Doorstep. You get a copy on my website at a nice discount. Uh, and visit The Devil at Our Doorstep and read Dave's uh, blogs. Dave, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Yeah, can I make a couple of quick comments to you? Sure. Um, I got this other thing for some people. Uh, it's called Bad Relatives, Bad Fellows and Relatives, and it, it connects the people on the far left. It says, yes, the governor of Michigan used to work for George Soros. Yes, California Governor Gavin Newsom is Nancy Pelosi's nephew. Yes, Adam Schiff's sister is married to George Soros' son. Yes, John Kerry's daughter is married to Mullah's son in Iran. Yes, Hillary's daughter, Chelsea, is married to George Soros' nephew. Hmm. Um, and, uh, yes, ABC News executive producer Ian Cameron is married to Susan Rice, Obama's former national security advisor. Um, and it just keeps going on and on. Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, a lot of these connecting to Soros. Soros and the SEIU were connected and have been connected for years. In fact, they shared offices around the country. So this tells you what's going on. Absolutely. Dave, again, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, thanks for having me on. My pleasure, indeed. All right, that's a wrap here on today's show. We're over a little bit, but I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, On Monday, we're going to visit with Mark Shulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current world affairs. And Jim McTagg, he'll be with us as well. I hope you make a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.